Hello, and welcome to the TradQuest Podcast. I'm your host, James Orr, and today I have the pleasure to be sitting down with Alan Boyce of Liberty Bows. Hey, Alan, how are you today? Good, James. Good afternoon. Glad to be here with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, over at Alan's house. It's a beautiful day in Roseburg. It's hot. It's being a summer. Um, we've just been out in his driveway shooting all his different models. Uh, how, how many different models are you making now, Alan? I do five different models, James. <clears throat> I have three hill style bows, and then I have uh, three RD bows, uh, one mild reflex deflex RD bow, and then a couple of hybrids. Okay, and what are the what are the names of those uh, different Liberty bows? I build the 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 Sherwood, which is a true hill style bow with a shorter handle riser in it. Then I have a Classic, which is a string follow bow. Then my English, and then my uh, RD bows are the Contender, the Chief, and the most radical reflex deflex bow I build is called the Edge. And I like to say that hunters have the Edge when they're hunting with that bow. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of the Edge. Uh, I took my first blacktail buck with traditional tackle with it. Um, it is a fantastic shooting uh, uh, hybrid type longbow. Um, but I, I had the pleasure of shooting all the models, and uh, man, they, they they're all they're all really nice shooting bows. Uh, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised shooting the English. It's a great shooting bow. That, that's a nice bow. It's a little different than most hill style bows. I put different tapers in in those bows than a lot of guys do, and I put a little bit longer handle riser in it, which I, which I really think deadens the shock in the bow. Yeah. And uh, they're smooth, they're user friendly, and they cast a nice arrow. They're just fun to shoot, and they're very traditional in my mind, and I love a traditional style bow. Yeah, they they, they definitely have a very traditional look and feel to them, but in, in my uh, experience, those type of bows really kind of rattle my teeth out when I when I shoot them. I'm, maybe I don't have the proper form, but that was not the experience that I had whatsoever. That bow shot very, uh, it had very nice manners. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, I uh, I was I think traditional archery brings out the the kid in our hearts. Yeah. You know, I started building bows years ago, but before that, when I was a kid, I started out with like a lot of guys did with solid glass straight limb bows and just shot arrows and loved to watch the arrow fly and and then kind of walked away from it as I got a little older went in the military uh got married other things happen in life life happens yeah tell us a little bit about where you're from and your family and and give us a little background on on you Alan sure uh grew up in uh I'm actually from Langlois Oregon Langlois Oregon okay (laughs) most people don't know where Langlois is but it's a small town in Curry County and then my dad and mom, uh, who were in the logging industry, moved to Gold Beach, Oregon, and started okay. Jerry's Jet Boats on the Rogue River in 1960. Wow, okay. And L- Langlois, Oregon, uh, it's kind of silly, but where I'm from, uh, they're known for their hot dogs. They are. Yeah. World-famous hot dogs. World famous, <laughs> they are. And so anytime we go through Langlois, we have to stop by the Langlois market to get a Langlois hot dog with homemade mustard and homemade pickles and... Um, it's a beautiful country, so if you're ever traveling 101 and passing through, you, I mean, if you blink, you'll miss it, um, but it, it is a, a neat little, uh, a beautiful area there on the southern Oregon coast, and they do have the world-famous hot dog. They do. If you stop there, uh, tell Lee that Alan Boy said hi. Yeah, <laughs> he okay. He owns the store. Okay, that's awesome. So, yeah, and so your family started the jet boats, too, down there. That's that's a, that's a really neat thing, also. Started the jet boats, and um, when I was... Uh, my draft number was two, so I didn't have much choice when I graduated from high school. I ended up spending three years in the military, and mom and dad sold the business when I was in the military. And I did a lot of different things. I uh, ended, ended up working in the logging woods for several years, did a lot of construction, different things. Met my wife in the local church down there. Um, in Gold Beach. In Gold Beach. Uh-huh. Uh, she was from uh, born in, actually born in, in Gold Beach at the hospital there. Okay. But lived in Lebanon, Oregon, and about a year later, she came back for the second time, and it was kind of one of those love at first sight things, I guess. And a year later, I ran into her again at church, again, and uh, three months later, we were married. We've been married for uh, 33 years now, and uh, have two children grown, Amanda, uh, our daughter, who is a PA in uh, Portland, and our son, Jerry uh, Boyce, is a... Uh, doing a social media marketing in California for a firm down there in L.A. Oh, very cool. Yeah, you're a blessed man. You have a wonderful wife, and uh, you live in a beautiful area. It's, mm-hmm. it's really awesome. 
Um, well, why don't you uh, tell us a little more about, you know, your your path uh, in, in bow hunting and uh, what led you to traditional archery? Sure. I uh, <clears throat> It was 1977, and a friend of mine had purchased a Martin Cougar II compound, which is basically not much different than a recurve at that time. 1977, so one year before I was even thought of. (laughs) One year. Well, uh, that was a while back, I guess. But uh, he said, oh, you got to have one of these. These are just the greatest thing ever. And I shot it, and I thought, wow, this thing shoots pretty good, uh, pretty easy. And I'd shot bows over the years, of course, and I had uh, shot a recurve. I bought a recurve when I was in high school. It was a uh, from Herders. Herders. The old Herders company. It was a... How at high speed, okay. and I shot that for uh, quite a while. Loaned it to some friends, and they broke it, so I never got that back. I'd like to have it back now. It's a beautiful bow with some kind of a rosewood handle in it and green green glass on it. I can still kind of visualize it. Yeah. But uh, so I'm shooting this Martin Cougar too, and he says, "You gotta, you gotta get one of these or something." So I went to Coos Bay with him. Uh, that's guy. where I'm from. Yeah, it, it yeah. is. In fact, there's a mutual friend up there of yours. And mine that uh, had a bow shop. Oh, Gary, Gary Wallace. Wallace. Oh, this is great. Gary okay. Wallace. And uh, stopped in there and uh, at his shop uh, across the river there a couple times, and he let me shoot all kinds of bows. And uh, I kind of just settled on what my friend Marty had. It was a Martin Cougar too. Took it back home, shot that bow, got pretty good with it, or reasonably good with it, uh, just shooting fingers, no sights or anything. And aluminum arrows, bare broadheads. That's what everybody used back then, pretty yeah. much bare razor heads. That's all Gary still uses <laughs> to this day. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with a good yeah. bare razor head, yeah. I'll tell you. And uh, decided I was going to go elk hunting. And at that time... And these I, are, these are we have Roosevelt elk for the for the folks out there here on the Oregon coast. Uh, we have uh, Roosevelt elk and black-tailed deer where, where we live. Right. So I uh, I hunted around Gold Beach where I lived quite a bit and a friend of mine from uh Coquille Oregon actually a cousin short tail cousin uh Jeff Mulkey was telling me you got to come up here to Coos Bay to this Tioga country up here and there's lots of elk up here because I was looking for elk and not seeing any elk so I went up to Jeff's house and we went back out on the, some property behind Jeez, their house you're giving up my good hunt spots are <laughs> yeah, you well <laughs> all right this one isn't accessible anymore because okay. they sold the property but they had access into some timber company's property and mm-hmm. it, was, it was fine so we uh were driving the back roads and we uh looked down into a kind of a uh a flat and there was a whole herd of elk in there so i get out not knowing anything about elk hunting with a bow or general elk hunting period i uh started putting the stock on these elk and i get down in the middle of them and uh elk started running every which way well i didn't know what i was doing it was a hot day um, they probably didn't know for sure what I was, but a herd of cows went off to the right and a couple of spikes, and then a three-point ran up the hill to the left, and I thought, like any good hunter, well, I'm going to go after that three-point. That's the biggest one in the herd, so why not? So I I was uh, had my bow in my hand, and an arrow knocked, and I came to a patch of uh, huckleberries, and if anybody knows what huckleberries are, those uh, if you have whatever the worst brush is you have in your country, that's a huckleberry patch. Yes. I knocked the bow or the arrow from the bow, got on my hands and knees, and I'm crawling up on my hands and knees up the hill through this patch of huckleberries. I get to kind of a little opening spot. I knock the arrow. I kind of stand up, and all I can see is a a rack in front of me. And uh, there's a windfall on the ground. I jump up on this log, this windfall. I draw back the bow. I shoot, and 60 or 70 yards later, there's a five-point bull elk laying on the ground. Hitting right behind the shoulder, double long team. How old are you at this point? I was, uh, let's see, I was in my 20s okay. at that point, uh, 1977. Yeah, I was born in 51, so. Okay. So I'm standing on this log after I released the arrow, and of course, growing up, the only thing I ever shot was recurves. And in this compound, it's nothing like today, right? Oh, no, it's nothing. It had a 30% let off and a 50% let off feature on it that was the big deal so i had it on 30 percent because i thought it felt more like a bow 
Uh-huh. Instead of letting off the 50 or so. you were shooting fingers, I presume. Shooting fingers, yeah. Bear razor heads. Bear razor head. Bear yeah. bow, I guess you would call Bear it. Bear bow, no sights no or stabilizers. Sights. or Okay. Yeah. I'm standing on this log after I make the shot, and the first thing I thought about was, I could have done that with a recurve. That was your first thought? That was my very first thought because I immediately went back to my past and how much I enjoyed shooting that old recurve I had and, and those bows. and. I didn't even know what a longbow was at the time. Okay. So now the quest starts. Right. Uh, where do you find a recurve or somebody that shoots a recurve? Because the compound craze was really huge. Now, I don't know if it's at, at this point or if it's a few years later, but Gary Wallace, uh, our mutual friend, he has this archery shop. And he tells me that the compound craze is so huge that uh, Bear is giving him recurves for for five bucks and he is basically buy a compound to get a recurve for free like it's a promotion like you buy a compound you get a free recurve just to take home like they're almost giving them away uh uh so you must have not got a free recurve i didn't deal, get a free recurve i didn't know about right, that I'd right but it, this that. promotion might have been maybe in the beginning of the 80s i think it probably yeah. was because yeah. this was just the inception of okay of the compound shoot so as it turns out, uh, there was a, a friend of mine who lived in Gold Beach. He was a commercial fisherman. His name was Dick Lobb. And he had a friend who worked for Martin Archery and built uh, recurve bows. Okay. And Dick shot recurve bows. I, didn't, I just kind of stumbled on this because I'm talking to him at breakfast one day. I was commercial fishing at that time also. So I knew you were commercial him. fishing out of Charleston. I or was out of Gold Beach. Out of Gold Beach, okay. Yeah. And we started talking about archery, and I started talking about how much I was enjoying it. But I shot this elk, and I was kind of thought, "Wow, I could have done that with a recurve." So he starts talking to me about his bow hunting experience, and he shot only fifty to fifty-two pound bows. Uh, had shot for years, shot, shot Martin bows, and he says, "I can set you up." As it turns out, the guy's name was uh, Rich Myers that worked for Martin Archery or Howard Archery. I'm not sure what the division was that made mm -hmm. the, the recurves. And I ended up with two or three or four, maybe five bows because would, they would build bows and they'd have seconds or different things. And then I did some horse trading. I still have one out here in the shop. And I ended up with some bows. And uh, I uh, started out with some 58-pound bows, I believe they were. I think I had a match set. And at that time, I couldn't even hardly pull a 58-pound bow back because your muscles that you use are a lot different than any other muscles. Sure. But it didn't take me long to work into that, and it didn't take me long to, th to where I thought I needed something heavier. So Dick uh, got me a 62-inch uh, Martin bow with a set of 68 and 78-pound limbs on it. Oh, wow. And I could shoot those back then, the 78-pound okay. limbs, pretty regular, but the 68 was perfect. Now, were you shooting cedar shafts or aluminum shafts? Or? We were shooting uh, mostly aluminum shafts okay. at that time. I didn't really get into the cedar shafts until I started shooting the longbows. Okay. And like that, I said at that time, I really didn't know what a longbow was. Okay, so you're now you're you got four or five of these recurves, and I do, and you're you're getting ready to hit the field with them, and I was yeah, and I was having a great time and enjoying everything I want to do, but I liked the challenge. Um, I went to Colorado to work for about three months, and this is how I got started in with longbows. Uh, I was in there's a huge archery shop in Colorado, and I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, but I went in that archery shop, and I also went to Asbill's shop, Fred Asbill's shop. Okay, is he from Cal is he Colorado? He was in Colorado, I believe he's in Indiana. Okay, now, but they had the Bighorn Bow Hunting Company. Okay, I actually got to shoot. He says, "Here, I'll let you shoot this bow. It belongs to a friend of mine." Uh, I built it for him. I said, oh, who's that? He says, Gene Winsel. Oh, wow. I had no idea who's Gene Winsel. It says sure. the name is right on the side of the boat. He says, just be careful with it. I'll let you shoot it so you can feel, get the feel of it. And I told him, he says, you know, after I shot, I says, I really like that. But, you know, I just got this thing. I just would like to try to build a bow yeah. myself. And um, Colorado was a short venture, but I went into a, this bow shop back there, primarily compounds, but they had Martin bows in there. And they had this 70-pound ML-10, I believe it was. And I bought it for $110 or something. And that, is, that was a recurve? Nope. That's, oh, a, oh, that's, that's a long your, So that's your first longbow. That's my first longbow. And talk about jar your teeth out. Okay. 
That was a jar your teeth out bow. Boy, okay. did I have fun with it. It was a fun shooting bow. My first experiment on building bows was I decided that that ML10 at 70 pounds wasn't heavy enough, so I got this bright idea at 68 inches. I'll cut it down to 66 inches. And I'm telling you, it was plenty heavy then. I never did put it on a scale, but it was a beast. <laughs> I shot it until I broke it, and now I'm without a longbow. I'm looking around trying to figure out where I can find a longbow, and, and boyers were pretty limited back then as far as longbows go. And I can't remember how I stumbled onto his name, but it, John Strunk. Oh, kind of. John's a gem. Yeah. Spirit longbows, and that surfaced to the top, and he was building uh, fiberglass bows then. Oh, he was? Yes. He started out building fiberglass bows. He had to quit building fiberglass bows because the glue, uh, he had a very bad reaction. In fact, he almost quit building bows. We're very fortunate that he's still building self bows this day. So so whatever glue he's using at the time made him sick? It was Bingham glue. And he didn't know at the time that that was what was happening, so... I go up there, I end up coming back with a couple of 70-pound bows that he had there and shot those for a while, and I thought... And he was he in Tillamook at the he time? He was in Tillamook. Like he is now? S- still lives on 3rd Street there in the okay. same house. They've okay. always lived there. John and Pat, great people. Yeah, we're wonderful people. So I called John, and I said, uh, John, I think I'd like to build a bow. Uh, do, what, could, what do I need to do to build a bow? So John... Gave me a list of what I needed. He says, here's the kind of glue you get. Here's the lamination thickness you get. Here's the handle wood you get. And you put it in a bow, and it should come out about the right weight. So a couple of brothers, friends of mine in Gold Beach, Dan and uh, Jim Crumley, were kind of interested in building some bows too. And we got together. I got all those, that formula from John. And Dan built a, or Jim actually built a form. It was just pretty crude, a little bit of reflex in it, straight limb bow. Uh-huh. And uh, we started making bows and giving them away. Uh, and that was in, in, the, in the late 70s. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing about that is... So how did your first couple come out? What, what were they like? I wouldn't want to show them off, that's okay. for sure, <laughs> right now. Okay. But And I wouldn't have to because I think every one of those bows we ever built broke. Broke. Okay. And uh, I gave one to a guy that was hunting. And what was their demise? Was it the, was it the glue that you were using? It was or? the glue. Yeah. It was the glue. Uh, one friend was packing one around Heart Mountain and just walking down the trail with it, and it just delaminated his hand. So uh, that was kind of an exercise futility, but we learned a lot building bows sure. and had a good time. So kind of things evolved, and I figured out you got to have certain glues and uh, the Bingham glue was very temperamental on how you mix it. It was a two-to-one mixture, and you had to get it perfect. If you didn't, it wasn't going to hold up. Uh, things evolved um, into the future. I I actually was in Eugene. I'm still trying to find people who were in traditional archery because in the 80s, even early 80s in Oregon, there really wasn't. There wasn't a traditional archery club. The compound had taken over. Camp compound took it over. We hadn't started TAO until 1984. Oh, okay, so traditional archers of Oregon hadn't started until 84. Yeah, and um, I was in, uh, I think it was West 11th Bow Shop. That, and that's still there. It's still there? Yeah, okay. that's still there. And I'm asking, and, and sometimes you get kind of people when you start going in these compound shops and you start talking about traditional bows and recurves and how much you like them they just kind of won't even talk to you but i was asking the guys i was kind of looking for somebody that shot traditional bows and they gave me a guy's name called uh, dave doran some guy named dave doran and i was a year later before i finally got i think in in contact with dave and through that i met steve savage and some other guys was dave in bend at the time he was in springfield he was in springfield he was still living in springfield at the time and a great guy just and he was uh, rock solid when it comes to traditional archery. Yeah, another serious gem. We we recently lost uh, yeah, Dave. Yeah, it was, that was sad, and, and uh, loved Dave and his wife Nancy. But you know, the traditional archery to me is really a family affair. And when I say family, I don't mean just my immediate family. When I go to shoots, I go to shows, and all these guys are walking around with traditional bows and wood arrows a lot of them, and just having the time of their life 
making their own bows, making their own arrows. That's what it's about. Yeah. Uh, Chris Tipton, a mutual friend of ours, invited me to uh, the Pope Young shoot in Brownsville. It's our big traditional archers, archers of Oregon mm -hmm. shoot that we get a big get together. It's a competition. It's a, a time to catch up before hunting. It's a broadhead shoot. And I, I show up to that shoot and Chris isn't there yet. And I'm looking for him amongst all these hundreds of faces and, and I run into this guy and that guy. I don't even know who any of these people are, but they're just talking to me. They're like uh, having these full conversations. And I, I, I interrupted one of them and I said, I think you might have me misunderstood for someone familiar. And the guy said, oh, no, I, didn't, I know I don't know you, brother, but you're, uh, you're one of us. And I, I thought I was, I, was all, I was brand new and I thought I'm hooked. This was not what I experienced at a compound shoot. Um, this was, this was different. This was special. The, the quality of people there, uh, was a whole different caliper and, um, I'll never forget my first one and I'll, I've, ne I've never missed one and I won't. Um, I, 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 yeah, I love traditional archers of Oregon and I love the traditional archery community uh, as a whole. It's, it's something special. Well, you know, the Pope and Young shoot is something special and, um, uh, I, uh, I've been fortunate enough to win that shoot a couple of times. And 19, oh, you have, huh? Yeah. 1998 was the first time I won it. And uh, this bull I have hanging on the wall here, it seems like every time I won the Pope and Young shoot, I killed a, a bull. Yeah, <laughs> big, year, bull, so. big bull. Oh, no, I, uh, <laughs> so. winning the Pope and Young, it's, um, you know, not, we enjoy going to a lot of these uh, shoots that, just for fun. Um, but the Pope and Young is a competition, and we do keep score. And uh, it's something that uh, I I strive for. I'm I'm gonna win that someday. Um, I've I've got a I've got a ways to go with uh, s some of these top shooters. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a really neat broadhead shoot. Um, wh why don't you tell us a little more about the Pope and Young shoot? I believe the Pope and Young shoot started in the mid '30s. <clears throat> okay. And uh, it's uh, there's two events that happen at Pope and Young. Well, there's three. Well. Three events. Yeah. Uh, two different days. Well, they've changed the, the format now, yeah. but there are three events. You're right. Because we have the tr trail shoot, which mm -hmm. is uh, 50 targets. 53D targets. 53D targets. Uh, broadheads. Broadheads only. Mm -hmm. And you can shoot whatever bow as long as traditional. Hunting weight. Hunting weight bows and uh, any type of arrow you want to shoot. You have to shoot the same bow and arrow on at all, all three. events. All yes. three events. Yeah, no switching up equipment. Yeah. The clout is 180 yards. So in the past, a lot of people would shoot a, light, a bow that was a little heavier with lighter arrows to shoot that far. And that's why we changed the rules where you have to shoot everything because you're supposed to be shoot the same bow. It's supposed to be a test of your hunting equipment. Although I'm not sure what 180 yard shot has to do with testing yeah, your hunting equipment. Huh? Right. But, but uh, the cloud is scored um, one through nine on a ring. And so of course the nine is the highest score and a nine, seven, five, three and one and they have a string that goes around in a circle and everybody stands it's a, it's a golf flag that you're aiming at, at yeah. 180 yards away you're standing at one golf flag shooting towards one yes and then back and back and you shoot six times back and forth down and back six times and you score that and then you shoot the wand which is uh, 100 yards and we have a six foot stake in the ground you shoot at but on that six foot stake there's a two inch line so it's like a four by four post wrapped with foam, foam, and it's got this two inch line running up it. Yeah, and you you need to hit that two inch line for score. The broadhead has to cut it, or the shaft has to be touching, touching it. it. Yeah, and you have to hit that to score. So there's a lot of uh, looking for arrows after the right. <laughs> and you shoot six down and six back six times. Six times. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your best uh, score on that? Um, I think I told you earlier I hit it five times, but I'm thinking it was four times because I think it was 80. And uh, I think I hit it. I scored four times for sure. And I think that day I hit it seven times. Okay. I've hit it seven with a score of three is my best, uh, my best round on That's it. That's a good round. Yeah. And you get 20 points a and, score. And then the, the youth get to participate without broadheads. And they get that cut in half. They, they're shooting that from 50 yards, and I think they're shooting the 180 from 90. And yeah. my daughter, um, Alexa, my oldest daughter, she uh, is now 12. 
Um, but she was in the Cub class at uh, 10 and 11. And she won Pope and Young in the Cub class two years in a row. Um, she's she's hit the wand three times for score. And she scored in the animal round something like a 420 and a 440 out of 500 points. Uh, so I'm pretty proud yeah. of her. He should be. That's good shooting. Yeah. 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 A matter of fact, the first time she'd won the rest of the cub class uh, by over 200 points. And they approached um, Dr. Van Ash was in my group and they said, is this is this her score? He says, yeah, she outshot all of us. <laughs> uh, he, they're like, OK, we just weren't sure if, you know, this was her score because she's out. She outshot the rest of the uh, cub class by over 200. Um, so yeah, she's she's a dedicated archer. She she practices daily. Um, she's uh, uh, head over heels for traditional archery. So, well, it's definitely a family event, and I would encourage yeah. anybody that's interested in archery to come in and just have it. Everybody should shoot the Pope and Young shirt at least one time. Yeah, yeah, we're it's something that uh, my kids look forward to, and um, unfortunately, Alexa's not in the Cub class, and she she can't draw a hunting weight bow yet, so she uh, will be shooting for fun this year. Um, just being a smaller statured uh, female, she does, she can't pull the 40 pounds uh, that requires her to uh, compete. But um, Aubrey's looking to take uh, her role in the Cub class, and she's looking to uh, go in there and clean it up. So we'll see how she does. Well, she keeps working at it. She'll get there. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 a lot of fun. Well, so yeah. Um, tell us a, a little bit about. Uh, your, um, you know, the years that you won it and uh, the, the competition, what kind of scores you, you put up, I'm, I'm interested. You know, I can't remember the scores, but you have, generally, I won it in 98, and then I won it two years later, so 2000, I guess. Um, what really makes the difference, you have to shoot a decent trail around. Yeah. But the clout and the wand make right. a difference. If you can score a one or maybe two on the wand, that's 40 points. But on the clout, I've always been able to score. I think the best score I've ever had was in the 240 range Okay. on the clout. And, and I know you guys are thinking, well, what does a 180-yard and a 100-yard shot have to do with hunting? And, and it probably doesn't have anything to, anything to do with hunting. But I'm going to tell you what I think it does have to do with. It really is a test of your tuning of your arrow. It really kind of lets you know what that broadhead arrow how it behaves and what it does when you're when you're bearing down and trying to hit this little post at 100 yards and you're getting to watch that flight i mean you, you, most guys don't really ever put themselves in a position to watch their uh, what their arrow does at a at 100 yards and um i i think that that it has merit i mean i remember my first one i've seen my arrow doing all kinds of weird stuff and i realized it was time to do a little more tuning um, not that we would ever consider shooting at game past uh you know, 20, 30 yards, but it, it really g gives you an, a chance to watch that arrow and see how it behaves. Well, I think it's also a test of your focus. Sure. And sure. your concentration, uh, because a release, a bad release at 180 yards or 100 yards is magnified many times over. Absolutely. That's a good point. And you have to really stay focused. <clears throat> and then you're adjusting for the wind. The conditions sure. aren't always right. Uh, you take it, but it's just fun. It is. It's kind of like medieval times is what it's, it's a reactment of. I think the, the, the wand, it's like shooting through the castle window, they say, yes. and, and the cloud, it's kind of like the battlefield. And so we, when you shoot this, you're not shooting it by yourself. Uh, it's not the whole group, but you might have 20 or 30 guys on the line and you're watching 30 arrows sail through the air. It, it's, uh, it's, it's spectacular. It is. It yeah. is. It is fun. Yeah, you know awesome. I. Um, so I said the first time I, I shot the, uh, the or won the Pope and Young, I, I was able to harvest a nice bull the year after that, which is a, a decent bull for a Roosevelt because it scored oh, well, netted a little over three hundred points. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a decent if you can if you can get a bull into the three hundred uh, class uh, Roosevelt um, it, it it's it's similar to getting a bull in the four hundred class of a Rocky in my book. Uh, why, don't, why don't you take us back to the year that happened and the season and, you know, really start from the beginning on uh, on this hunt and, and how it uh, took place and came together for you. 
That was uh, 1998, and I've already killed a couple of bulls before that. It took me eight or ten years after the first bull that I jumped up on the log that I told you about. And okay, so when you switched to, well, yeah, we'll rewind a little bit. So when you switched to traditional archery, there were some trials and uh, tribulations to, to get you to this point. There were. There was a huge learning curve. I hunted with my nephew a lot, and uh, we always had a joke that uh, he was a caller and I was a shooter. <laughs> and, okay. it, and it worked out pretty well, and I, I'd like to see him take a really nice bull. He's taken some, but some smaller bull, bulls. But we uh, we hunted hard for years, and um, I was used to working, you know, hard and a lot of close cool. calls, but just no shots. Or well, I I, I had some shots and misses. Mm-hmm. In fact, the year that I killed this uh, this bull, a six point. <clears throat> uh, we were hunting in a different location on uh, this was on the rogue river south of the rogue river was a three point bull or three points are better better and on the north side it was cow elk anything cow any, bull, any, elk. any elk at that time so we were hunting on the north side and i was in a herd of elk and uh there were cows there was a bull someplace but i really didn't care i was going to shoot an elk and get the meat and that's, sure. that was good enough for me yeah and I was uh, watching a cow come broadside, and she just wasn't that far away. She was only about maybe 25 yards, and I was waiting for her, drew back and shot, and I shot right underneath her. And I thought, ah, bummer. Yeah. There goes my hunt for the year. Yeah, they all take off. Yeah. You know, that's what happens. Yeah, you and work hard for that shot. and Yeah. You work hard to get in there, and I was kind of bummed. Well... And are you, uh, is is it a 30-day season like it is now? Or It was a 30-day season, uh, yeah. So you're at the beginning of the season yep, at this point? Right at the beginning of the season. Okay. The next weekend, we got in on a, this herd on the other side of the river, and this bull elk was in it. So the um, bugling's just starting to begin. The bugling starting, started, and he was, a, he was bellering away, and, and my nephew had spotted him the day before. Um, we went back in. It was probably a mile and a half hike to get in where he was to okay. get set up is this big big timber area reprod clear cuts this was a clear cut unit that had been recently logged and burned so a slash burned mm-hmm. it was black ground mm-hmm. burnt stumps and this herd of elk came out in the in the unit he had a herd of cows my nephew went on down the road behind me probably 50 yards and started cow calling. Well, I'm out in the middle of this unit. I've got my wide-brimmed hat on. I'm hiding behind that. Down on a stump, on the behind a stump on the ground, there's basically no cover at all. And I'm just on my hands and knees and uh, kind of watching. And pretty soon I see this bull. All of a sudden he couldn't resist. And he starts coming toward that call. He walked right in front of me and stopped. And uh, I thought thought he was a little farther than he was but when i went back and measured it he was only about 30 feet away okay i had my bow out in front of me online holding on so the string, 10, 10 yards 10 yards drew back and released he was completely broadside when i hit him i hit him back on the hip in front of the hip in the toward the rear end and it angled up in and got both lungs that's how fast oh he's he whirled he whirled and uh, it wouldn't have been much longer and i would have just missed him completely but uh, shooting wood arrows, wood arrows that I made with a homemade longbow, I call Some them. Acme cedars or Acme cedars, uh-huh. and uh, and this wasn't a Liberty longbow at this point. This was just yep. No, this was a Liberty longbow. Okay, this was okay. Yeah, this was '98, and I actually started my bow company in '93. Oh, okay. But uh, shot him. And, and what model of bow were you shooting? This was uh, a contender. The contender. Mild okay. reflex deflex longbow, pretty simple, okay. straightforward, and easy to shoot. Okay. Uh, Shot him. He went about maybe 75 or 80 yards, and he was down. Oh, wow. He was done. And he'd left the cows to come into the cow calls. He left the cows to come into the cow calls. Okay. Cow and heat call. Uh-huh. Uh, Avenson's call. Avenson, yeah, another, yeah. another Coos Bay boy. Another Coos Bay guy, yeah. yeah. And they work when you get yeah. working right that time of year. Yeah. But then um, the pack started. Yeah, we packed him out of there. But that kind of uh, experience is. And I mean, I'm sitting underneath the bull. He's his. He looks like a giant. I mean, body wise, his head is. He he's a uh, he's huge. He's a he's a beautiful specimen uh, of the Roosevelt 
elk. Uh, he he's awesome. What what a spectacular bull. Dark dark antlers, white ivory tips. Alan's got the uh, arrow and bow that he killed him with, sitting in between the horns here in his living room. It's a it's a great mount. It really is. And I think he's a unique bull because he's so uniform and uh, you know on either side. You know, a lot of the Roosevelts kind of just start up and go up straight, but he's wide. Yeah, and heavy. Uh, heavy. And just like you say, he's very symmetrical. Yeah, he's a very nice bull. I think he, Dave Dorn uh, mentioned him earlier, measured him for me, and I actually recorded him on Pope and Young, which I don't care about one way or the other because I'm not into the numbers, but he was 300, 5 eighths is what he netted, and he was 309, 5 eighths. So he only had six inches of du deduction, which was yeah, nice for so, Roosevelt. So he's a solid 309-inch bull. I mean, that's that's a giant. That's a giant coastal uh, elk for sure. That's awesome. Um, so you uh, you went on to uh, uh, shoot a few more bulls in that unit, you said? I shot uh, another bull the following year, and uh, that was kind of an interesting uh, hunt. The same unit was still, uh, of course, recently logged the year before and burnt, but uh, we had I shot a three-point that year, and uh, the, a herd of elk had spooked on one side of the unit, and I got out in front of them, and my nephew was out in front, and I was hoping that he would get a shot. Unfortunately, he didn't. But I'm, again, behind a stump, uh, hiding on the ground. It was a little bit steeper ground. And a cow ran over to where I was, kind of looking over down the hill to see what was going on, looking for some kind of danger. And uh, she was standing on the other side of the stump, and her head was out over top of me. And I, like, I could have reached out and touched her if I wanted to. And she stood there for quite a while, and then pretty soon she just kind of moseyed off. And this three-point bull came by kind of on a real slow walk, uh, stopped and then started walking again, and I just pulled up and shot him uh, behind the shoulders, and he didn't go very far either, and back again. That was a wood arrow, and snuffer brought his. That's what I was shooting S back Same then. Same bow? No, this, it was a 60-inch, 60 64-pound bow that I made. It was okay. a contender, but it was a shorter, shorter bow. One. I've okay. got it around here someplace, but the, the weight of bow I don't pull anymore, and as I look back on it now, I'd have probably harvested a lot more animals if I had shot a reasonable weight bow because they're just so much more accurate. And You know, I, I like to build bows for guys who appreciate them and enjoy them. Yeah. I'm not a big bow company or anything. I just like to build bows uh, as kind of, it used to be a side thing. I'm retired now, so I can kind of spend a little more time doing it. Now you, you, and you worked in law enforcement, didn't you? I was 31 and a half years in law, law enforcement uh, 24 of those in a sheriff's office, Curry County Sheriff's Office, yeah. in the last seven and a half years with the state of Oregon and community supervision, parole and probation. We always said we were in the people fixing business. I don't know how well that worked, but we okay. hopefully made some difference in some lives. And and was your father a sheriff also? My uncle was your a uncle sheriff. Your uncle was a sheriff. Okay, Curry yeah. County. My mom and dad started Jerry's Jet Boats. Okay, that's right. I, I knew that a lot of people said, oh, that boy, he was a sheriff of Gold Beach. And I said, well, I... I think that might have been his, his uncle. It, yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. It, it was difficult to keep up with him. See, in my dad's family, there were 12. Uh, 12. There were six boys and six girls. So there were a lot of boys. Okay, a lot of boys. Yeah, in the country. and my great-grandfather came over on the Oregon Trail on the wagon train. So oh, wow. Settled awesome. in southern Oregon, Coos County, Curry County, that area down yeah. there. Yeah, okay, that's really awesome. Um, well, why don't we back up and... and uh, and talk a little bit about when you went from uh, building bows for yourself and then transitioned into uh, Liberty Longbows and started building bows for the for the general public. And, and as you developed some of these different models and how you came up with some of these designs, I'd, I'd love to hear more about that, Alan. Okay. I, uh, like I said, I, I when I shot that elk, you know, I thought, wow. And then I moved on and got a hold of John Strunk, and then he gave me all the formulas for bows, and we had had a great time, and I thought... Well, I think I could maybe, I was going to shoots and shows and stuff, and I thought maybe I could build a few of these and sell them. Uh, right. It's kind of a hobby. It looked like it would be fun, and it was. Um, but in uh, I, I, 1984, I, yes, 1984, I went to my first North American Longbow Safari. Oh, okay. In, I think it was Creston, Washington was the name of the place. And I was... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that was the first time I was introduced into a to a reflex deflex longbow. Okay. I was shooting straight limb bows, the hill style bows, pretty crude, mm -hmm. uh, kind of like back on them now and say they were pretty much just a club. 
but that club did work. I actually, the first and only time I've ever done it, but I won the Bowbird competition in that, that, that shoot, and I hit five Wh- out of five. Which is what? I, th- I haven't been to a longbow safari Okay, yet. well, they throw a target up in the air, oh. and you have to shoot it as an aerial target. You have okay. to shoot it out of the air, and, I, and everybody's going, whoa, what's going on? And I didn't know what was going on either, but I was just, they were throwing it up, and, and the, the, the trick to it is you have to have a good thrower. Somebody will throw it up and put it kind of in the same place every time in the air, and uh, I hit five out of five. And uh, that was a really fun shoot, but I met Dick Robertson at that shoot. And wow. He, he had a, uh, I'll never forget it, he had this reflex deflex bow. It was, uh, I want to say, well, black locust limbs. It was 64 inches long and 72 pounds. And of course, I was shooting a 70-pound bow. It was no problem. And I was shooting at the elk target. He says, here, try this. And I was shooting this long-distance elk target, which is like 180 yards or something. And the arrows of my bow were just falling short, and the arrows out of his bow were shooting way over it. And I'm going, whoa, this thing is sweet. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, I I attended uh, the PBS banquet in Portland seven years ago, and I met Dick Robinson there, and I was relatively new to traditional archery. And it was the, I didn't know the difference between all the recurves. and I mean, I knew the difference between a recurve and a longbow, but I didn't know that there were so many different kinds of reflex, deflex, and hill style, and string follow. And I didn't know the difference of all that. But he handed me this um, one-piece reflex, deflex longbow, and we went out, and, and I'd shot it. I was with Chris Tipton. And I thought, man, that is a neat shooting bow. I thought these... Longbows were supposed to be harder to shoot than recurves, and that was my first experience mm-hmm. with uh, with a uh, reflex deflex was uh, one of Dick Robertson's bows. Yeah, yeah. Dick's a, uh, when it comes to traditional archery, you know, he's a wealth of information yeah, and for sure. uh, willing to share the information. Yeah. Like he was saying, now you got to do this, do this, this is what you're making. You ought to go back and start building these. If you're going to try to sell them, you need to build these. Yeah. And he was right. Yeah, I look forward to getting him on the podcast yeah. uh, when I when I when our paths cross. Now it's. There's a bow for everybody out there yeah. if you think about it. Sure. And that's why I build so many different models. Yeah. Personally, my favorite bow is because I'm kind of from the past is my English. Sure. I just love shooting that straight and I can, bow. And I can see why you do. So anyway, you're, you're, you, you win this Bluebird competition. You shot this Bowbird. Bowbird. Yeah. yeah. And, and tell us kind of where that went. You, you. Well, I came home and immediately started build a, cut a form out. And I kind of was... He says, just build it like this, like I build. You know, he says, it's nothing new. Uh, I'm not the first guy to build a reflex deflex bow. They were building these things years ago, but they just kind of died out. And I just kind of brought them into the future, yeah, into, tr- into contemporary yeah. uh, bow hunting. And go home and cut a form out and start. So I did. Went home, cut a form out and started. And I shot bows off of that form for years and didn't do any, make any changes. And it was fine. With very mild reflex deflex, and then I got to experimenting. The next uh, was that the tiger model. Well, I named the bows uh, based on the wood I put in the bow. The oh. tiger was tiger stripe merlewood. I see. I see. No, I didn't really. So, I had the rogue, the tiger, the I don't remember all the the, the golden eagle, because okay. that was you. Okay. Yeah. I see. Okay, that <laughs> makes sense. Different, and I finally got to thinking. This is not working. I have all these different woods. I don't think I'm going to be able to come up with enough names. So I changed the names to the models to an individual bow. And the next bow I made was the bow that I still shoot today that's called the Contender. Okay. Yeah, very I shot that today. Yes, yeah. yeah. Nice, stable, easy-shooting bow. Uh, The next model that I came up with was the English. And probably the English and the Contender, well, the Edge also now, but... Of all the bows I made many, many years ago, the only two that I never changed the form on was the uh, Contender and the English because okay. they just worked well. Uh, and the Chief is something that came and went and then came back? Yeah, I discontinued the Chief when I came out with the Edge, uh, and I had modified it. And I think I'm going to remodify the Chief a little bit more. I think I'm going to put a little bit more reflex in the tips because I took some of that out of it. I think it's probably shot a little better than it does now. It's a good shooting bow, but I want something that 
you go from a mild reflex, deflex bow like the contender that has a true D shape or crescent shape to it. Okay. To the chief, that's a, tweaked a little bit on the tips, and then the edge is obviously, you look at that. It's extreme. That is very extreme. Yeah. But it's very smooth, easy to shoot, and yeah. user-friendly. Yeah, it, it almost has a a uh, uh, Mongolian look to it. Right. Yeah. It does. Yeah, yeah it does. But yeah. it was just something I came up with, and I'll, I'll never change that bow either. Yeah. I, uh, I've been building And you one. said that uh, it was real interesting because I, I love that bow. You just kind of had a vision for it, and you uh, didn't even really prototype. I mean, you, you came up with it, and it, and it stuck. I mean, right? It did. When I, so, I moved from Gold Beach in two thousand eight and moved to Roseburg. So all my equipment and shop stuff is over there, and I'm trying to get kind of getting going at that point with bow building. In fact, I turned down twelve or fifteen orders, and I didn't build bows for three years. Because uh, I didn't have a shop to build them in. Uh, we were renting. It was a new job. That's a long story to why I had to move, but yeah. God moved me. Okay. Was, I'm, I'm really blessed. In fact, Liberty Bows uh, is that's a faith-based uh, name. Mm -hmm. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Mm -hmm. And I'm not ashamed of that, and I, I love the Lord. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, the Lord has blessed me, and, and I've just, it, it's great to, to, to be able to share your faith with people and have all these people who are we're meeting in this industry and find out there are so many other faith-based Christians out there. But uh, I come over here, I don't build bows for three years, but I have this in the back of my mind. This is way, I, I, was, I was almost against a, a hybrid bow for many years because it wasn't traditional enough. Okay. It wasn't a real long bow. Okay. But the reason I named it Liberty Bows, not Liberty Long Bows, is I always thought, you know, I might build a recurve or something or add that to the line someday. Well, I decided to add this edge because I don't want to build recurves. There's plenty of great recurve boyers in this country. We have three or four right here in Oregon. That Absolutely. Just build beautiful bows. If yep. you want a recurve bow, yeah. go to the coast, go to eastern Oregon, go to Portland. Yeah. These guys are... They're, they're, I would put them up against anybody in this country. Yeah, absolutely. They're, for they're sure. Great bows. But uh, I had it in my mind about building this bow and... Uh, Kind of should have really dedicated to Dave View. You didn't know him, but what a great guy he was. He passed away when he was 46 years old. Uh, a great traditional archer. Just loved traditional bow hunting. And with Dave, whenever you talk to Dave, he says, every day is a good day. And um, and that's what Dave was. A good friend of, well, Steve Savage, Doran, all these people that are big in traditional archery in Oregon. But uh, when I went to his funeral service in uh, Eugene, I took this form up and cut it out, the form, the design, on Steve, at Steve Savage's house that day after his service. And uh, I've been shooting that bow ever since. And that was that was the edge? That was the edge. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Steve always reminded me, that's the bow you cut out at my shop form, isn't it? On that day? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, that, I, I'll never, I mean, the first time I got one in my hand... First edge I shot, I believe, belonged to Chuck. Oh, Chuck Lind. Chuck Lind, Wendy Lindy, yes. as I call him. Uh, I, I I believe I shot his, and and then I, I think I got my hands on Jim Akinson's and so on and so forth. It just was surrounded by several people who shot this bow, and uh, you know, and then I finally met you, and um, I uh, I tried the the chief also. Um, but every time I shot the edge, it always just, I was tickled. There's like something about uh, the way it just pointed well for me and got onto target. And um, yeah, it's, it's it's a great shooting bow. It really is. Yeah, good. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so th at this point, you, uh, um, it was, would you say, 92 when you started? Um, 93, 93 actually when i officially started i built a lot of bows prior to that and just gave them away i didn't sell bows i just gave them to friends yes. and family and yeah and uh, there is a there's definitely a good following i mean uh, i see guys on trad gang and leather wall and uh who are you know so proud of uh their collection of uh liberty bows and uh yeah you you really offer something for everybody in the longbow market that's you know that's really neat 
I try to. I, I may pare that down at some point because I don't want to get too busy. I'm retired now. I'd like to go fishing. Right, <laughs> yeah. Do other things. But I'll always build the edge and uh, fail all my RD bows, but I may, and my English. That's always going to be there. I may eventually thin out the Sherwood yeah. and the Classic, but. I think uh, I imagine there's probably a, a, an English in my uh, in my future down the road. Also, I, I got introduced to that boat today, and I, like I said earlier, I was pleasantly surprised. It is a uh, it's, it's a very nice shooting bow. Um, well, why don't we uh, wrap this up with uh, something that's uh, very uh, near and dear to my heart, and uh, that's the black-tailed deer. Um, you live in black-tailed deer country, uh, as I do, but. Um, the the valley um, has better a gene pool and a uh, better population, and you're here in the Melrose unit. Is yes. that correct? Yep. Yeah. I think I seen seven deer in a one mile stretch just pulling into Allen's driveway, and it was it's a hot afternoon, um, and so that's pretty impressive. They seem to be uh, pretty heavily populated in this area. They do, and I never well I did I killed a couple black till when i lived in gold beach um got a couple of pretty nice bucks actually years ago because langlois is actually known for uh some good black tail bucks also it is yeah, yeah it is in the sixes unit <laughs> it is in fact the sixes units where i harvested one in the early 80s i guess um with my longbow i'll tell you one story before i talk about this area over here yeah tell us tell us that my friend Marty that I mentioned earlier, he and I were elk hunting. And it was, and back in those days, we'd get off work and we'd drive an hour and a half to go elk hunting in the and, evening. And yeah, but not to cut you off, but are, are we still, like present time, we we get a, a hunt elk for 30 days, the end of August through September, and we have a, a, a deer tag in our pocket. Right. And then if we uh, aren't successful in deer, which we're, we're focusing on elk, uh, then we get to hunt them again in November in selected units. Was it the same? Yes. Okay. It was the same. Um, we were hunting that Powers unit, okay. and we had driven all the way over there, and we're driving up for, through a unit. And we're really focusing on elk, like you said, yeah. mm -hmm. because that's the animal we're after. And we come around the corner, and we look across this big unit. It's kind of a flat unit. It's not very steep. And on the other side of that unit, uh, Marty's looking over there and says, man, look at that elk. That's a funny colored elk. And I look at it and I says, Marty, that's not an elk. That's a black-tailed buck. And he says, it is, isn't it? And, you know, I look back on it now and I go, why didn't I take the time to put a really decent, not a half-hearted, but a decent stock on it? Right. This thing was unbelievable for yeah. a black tail. Yeah. And we'd only seen one other one like that, and that was on a place called Green Knob up above the Rogue River. Well, Powers Unit produces oh. some giant black-tailed deer. Unbelievable. I'm mm -hmm. telling people, if you ever see a black-tailed that says anything like that, you'll go, wow, that is yeah. amazing. And yeah. I've only seen two like that in my lifetime. Uh, I've seen a couple uh, <laughs> couple giants in the Powers Unit. Yeah, they, yep. it, it is a good unit. But... I, I took a few bucks over there, not too many. I, I, I rifle hunted a lot, too. I find it's just a lot easier when you see, sure. a, you see a blacktail out there at 70 yards. Okay, he's yours. Yeah, right. <laughs> and getting any closer a lot of times yeah. is pretty tough. Yeah, and, and I know uh, there's a lot of guys who would argue this because uh, I don't get me wrong, I love elk meat, but I love me some blacktail venison. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And a rifle's a pretty sure thing if you're yeah. a good hunting country. Sure. But when I moved over here, I obviously have bucks running around this country or deer in this country right around the house. I never, well, I very rarely ever see a good buck here in rifle season. I did see one this year. He was a uh, four by five. Of course, I'm a bow hunter though, but he didn't come back in bow hunting season, late season. He was toward the end of rifle season. But I've been fortunate enough to harvest a couple of really nice bucks here, a four-point with uh, nice high guards and a nice big high-rack three-point here um, just up in the fern patch behind me here. I've got a friend that owns 80 acres here, and I can hunt up here in his property. He's fine with it. It's not yeah. a problem at all. But the thing about this country is I have learned a lot about black-tailed bucks and when you can hunt them and when you can't because when they're in a rut, they're obviously very stupid. They're dumb. Right. But they only come in certain times, and 
I'm con- convinced that a lot of times when people go hunting, they might as well stay home because those bucks are not going to move except for just a small window. You have a small window of opportunity yeah. when you're hunting a black-tailed buck. And it's generally in November about maybe not quite a week before the late season starts and you've got just a few days into it yeah. and that first cycle is going. Now, they'll come back later. Yeah. I've I, I think you're right. That, that it seems like that that break between rifle, the third, fourth, somewhere in there, and then we don't get started till the 12th or whatever, that they're really going good then. Yeah. And then you got that first few days, if you can, if the weather cooperates, and then you're hoping that around after Thanksgiving, uh, you'll have a flurry. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, these, these bucks are nocturnal. Yep, they are. And I would encourage people, you know, if you're going hunting, I know I've heard, talked to a lot of people who are late bow hunters, and they say, well, we want to give them a little time to settle down. I'm telling them, no. Yeah. That's not <laughs> the way it works. Yeah. Don't give them time to settle. Get out there right away. and go right away. Go right after them because that's your best opportunity. Yeah. And uh, and I've said on this hard. podcast several times before, um, I, I'm really considering, I'm not going to do it this year, but I really am considering buying the rifle tag because in Oregon you can use a lesser weapon and hunting them uh, with my longbow and wood arrows in the rifle season because on the coast range it's even a little bit sooner than it is here in the valley. Or Halloween, it is really good. They are really yeah. on their feet. And in the Tioga unit where I live, they don't even have a late hunt. So um, I'm really considering on uh, using the rifle tag for an archery opportunity. Uh, one of these years to uh, have a, a hunt on some of these nice bucks I've got around my place. Yeah, it, it's you know if you take a, take advantage of the opportunity you have. I yeah. live in the Melrose unit. Yeah, it's a great late hunt. It's yeah. open, so I hunt it. Yeah. Um, when I lived in Gold Beach, I had to hunt on the north side of the river. That was the sixes unit. Yeah. And that's where I took my buck this year. Was in the, uh, last season was in the sixes yeah. unit, and. Uh, Chris Tipton, uh, our, our mutual friend, he's a blacktail uh, hunter big time. And he's just uh, fortunate to give me some places in the Melrose unit. He's got so many spots. He says, well, here, these ones are a little closer to you than they are to me. And we, he went and helped me scout them out. And I've got some, some pretty promising ground uh, that I'm going to try in the um, uh, more on the west side of the Melrose unit this year. So it's pretty exciting. You know, I also tell people that if you're hunting where there's a lot of does and the doe activity is high and the blacktails are coming, the bucks are coming in, if the does aren't spooky and the black, the buck's a little spooky and it kind of works its way off, don't get impatient. Yeah. They cannot resist coming back to those does. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. Give it time. Yeah. Because I want people to harvest a buck with a bow. Yeah. Joel, Joel Turner uh, just told a story where he took his first four-point blacktail after 20 years of hunting him with a bow. He killed three points and, and you know, three-by-fours were just legitimate four-by-four buck that he'd wanted so badly. And it came in with the doe and he'd shot and missed and it ran off and that doe brought him right back. And then he drew back and then the bow ran, the buck ran off and that doe brought him right back. And I think the doe brought him back, back like four times. And then he finally was able to get the shot. Yes. I've seen exactly that thing, very thing happen. And in the past I would go, oh, he's gone, get yeah. up, walk off, whatever. Yeah. And he's not right. But he's is when you get up and walk off. Have you implemented a, a tree stand or are you just hiding on the ground or? I have a tree stand that I have put up out here, and I've never, I've never used it. Okay. I just like to hunt on the ground. ground. And yeah. Yeah. The one black tail I, I took, uh, the four point I used in English, and the other one was a classic. So I only have one bow that I haven't harvested an animal with yet. That's the edge. And uh, even though I love hunting with my English, I'm probably going to try to hunt with that edge this year. Sure, why not? <laughs> and it's kind of make it my grand slam, I guess. Right, your grand <laughs> slam. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Well, uh, Alan, I, I really appreciate you uh, uh, taking the time out, letting me come by and uh, shoot uh, all the different bows and uh, sort through the wood pile. And uh, Alan's got some spectacular, being from Myrtlewood country, um, he's got some fantastic tiger stripe and high figured and just kind of what I call dirty and 
funky looking myrtles and maples and he's got some really great local woods and yew woods and um yeah i, I appreciate letting me uh, dig through all that stuff and um sh share your uh your knowledge and uh yeah it was it was wonderful thank you so much for having me anytime james yeah i appreciate it thanks again to all the listeners out there without your support none of this would be possible also if anyone's in the uh, oregon area shoot anyone that's willing to make the drive we've had folks from canada montana all over uh if you're going to be around at the end of july uh the pope and young shoot put on by the traditional archers of oregon is definitely worth your travels it's a wonderful time shooting arrows uh competing shooting for fun uh we do a big dinner there uh bring a side dish camping's free bring your family bring your bows it's an awesome time love to meet some more people uh down at the traditional archers of oregon all, all that uh information is on traditional archers of oregon's website uh pope and young shoot at the end of july uh, also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on itunes stitcher podbean tune in google play blueberry check me out at tradquest.com thanks again and always, shoot straight.